Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Firstly, a big thank you to this week's new support on Patreon. That's Nikki Mullen. Nikki, I'm really grateful for your support and I hope you enjoy the bonus episodes and the exclusive content. If you have one at the moment, just how well do you know your current partner? They are with you because they love you, right? You know everything about them. What could they be capable of in most situations? You'd know how they react, wouldn't you? And what if you stumbled on a piece of information that would change everything? But of course, that will never happen to you, as that sort of thing doesn't happen to us, does it? That sort of thing only happens to other people. How well you know your partner is key to today's case. Why they are with you and whether or not you really know them form part of what I guess is a modern love story for the 21st century with a violent twist. I hope you enjoy the show, but before we start, a quick word from the sponsor of today's show, WordPress. Every day we all go online to find small businesses, but we can't always find the ones we want. When you create a website with WordPress.com, you make it easier for your customers to find you. And it's easy to do. No experience is needed, as WordPress guides you through the process, and if you do get stuck, there's a support team waiting to help you 24-7. Plans start at just $4 a month and all WordPress plans include a custom domain name for the length of the plan. Come and discover why almost 30% of all websites run on WordPress, including mine. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to wordpress.com slash UKTrueCrime to create your website and find the plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com slash UKTrueCrime for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash UK True Crime. Today we head back to February 2010. In the UK charts at this time, Jason Derulo was number one with In My Head, with Rihanna at number three with Rude Boy. And in the US, it was Keisha with TikTok. Looking at the Australian album charts, number one was I Dreamed a Dream by Susan Boyle. And it stayed there for a whopping six weeks. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. In the news at this time, New Orleans Saints defeated the Indianapolis Colts 31-17 to win their first Super Bowl. The 21st Winter Olympic Games opened at Vancouver in Canada. And in the America's Cup in Valencia, we saw Team USA beat Alinghi 2-0. And on the Portuguese Atlantic island of Madeira, heavy rain caused floods and mudslides leaving at least 32 dead. This week in my life, I was on another extended stay in fabulous Las Vegas, trying unsuccessfully to live the dream as a poker player. Harold Landry was born in 1946 in the southern American state of Louisiana. He came from a large family having 12 brothers and sisters, but as he grew up, money was very tight for the family. This isn't the life that Harold wanted for himself, and he worked hard so that he would not have the same struggles in his adult life. An engineer by trade, Harold founded and ran Titan Industries, which sold specialist crane equipment to the oil and gas industry. People who dealt with him in business spoke of his utter ruthlessness and his determination to make it, and nothing, nothing was going to get in his way. At its peak, his company employed around 60 people, but Harold according to family, became bogged down by paperwork and bored of not being hands-on and not being able to invent things. 
He sold the company and walked away with an estimated £8 million fortune. As a relatively young and wealthy man, he owned property in Mexico and he indulged his passions for old coins, stamps and antiques. Harold was brash in character and he was happy to flaunt his wealth wherever possible. But working hard at his business had taken its toll on his private life and though he had three children, by 1999 he realised that the old cliché was correct and although money can certainly help, it does not guarantee you happiness. He'd been divorced twice and although wealthy, he realised that he was lonely. What was the point of having all this money without someone special to share it with? Nowadays, if we felt like that, many of us or our friends and family would have met partners online, but this wasn't common at all back in 1999. Remember, this was pre-Facebook, Instagram and all the other places where we spend our time online. Although it's hard to believe, even Yahoo was seen as innovative back then. And pre-Facebook, we were tracking down old friends on Friends Reunited. Remember that? Struggling to date via his social life, Howard became involved in internet chat rooms and he met someone. He met someone he liked a lot. Her online name was Misery. Bit of a worrying start, don't you think? But she proved to be anything but as she was full of fun and vitality. She made Harold feel alive again and he longed to meet this woman who had so enchanted him online. Her real name was Lucy Davis and she was a music student who lived in England with her four-year-old son. Lucy was born in Pontypris, South Wales, where at school she was a popular girl. Along with her sister Anne, she loved ponies and both belonged to the local riding club. Music was Lucy's other main hobby and she played the piano and flute with the Glamorgan Youth Orchestra and she sang with a choir. She aspired to teach music, but when she arrived at Coventry University to study for a degree in music, she decided that after all, music wasn't how she wanted to spend her three years and she switched to a degree in urban planning. Her parents bought her a house in Coventry to save her having to rent dodgy student dives. Life was good for Lucy. She quickly started dating a fellow student, Graham McAllister, and he eventually moved into the house with her. At first, the couple had a great time together and her parents were delighted with her choice of partner, her father Roger saying, She and Graham seemed a perfect match. They shared intellect, a love of art and a wacky sense of humour. But as often is the case when couples meet when they are very young and still growing into the people they want to be, problems started to emerge. To earn extra cash, Graham took a night shift job working for the postal office at the local sorting place. Having taken a break from studying and with Graham out for long periods, Lucy became a little bored and lonely and she started exploring the world of internet chat rooms. It was here that she came across a rather brash, but also pretty exciting man from Louisiana called Harold Landry. As we've already said, Harold wasn't shy about his wealth and he began boasting to Lucy about how he could provide her with a life that she could only dream of at the moment. It wasn't long until Lucy was on a flight to the US to meet Harold and Lucy liked what she heard and what she saw. When she returned, she told Graham that their 10-year relationship was over and he moved out of the house. At this time, Harold was 53 and Lucy many years his junior at 28. His friends were unsure and cautioned him against getting involved with Lucy 
but he was utterly smitten. Harold was transfixed by Lucy's youthful beauty and her lively personality, and he saw this as a chance to make a fresh start. So in 2000, he moved to the UK, to Coventry, in the Midlands, to start a new life with Lucy. He gave her everything material that she wanted. She had the best clothes, jewellery, cosmetics. Whatever she wanted, he was happy to buy it for her. It got to the point where friends of Harold's became concerned that Lucy was just using Harold for his money and she loved this much more than she actually loved him. After all, Lucy was a physically attractive 28-year-old woman and 25 years her senior, physically, Harold wasn't, well, he wasn't in the very best of shape. As one of his close friends said, he wasn't exactly a hunker-hunker-burning-love-looking kind of guy. A cynic may well have described it as their love could be defined by Harold's love of the way Lucy looked and Lucy's love of the contents of his wallet. But as we know, the strangest of combinations can make the very happiest of couples. The pair married in 2002 and moved to a luxury three-storey house in Worcestershire and they appeared to have a great marriage. Lucy soon had a daughter and Harold loved his new role as a retired husband and father doting on the little girl. But not everyone saw this side of Harold, and some thought that along with his boasts about money came a determination to control everything and everyone around him. It's fair to say that he and Lucy enjoyed a drink or two. In fact, more than that. On his own, Harold would drink as much as three bottles of wine a night, and when he did, he lost his normal charm and he could be a real bully. Neighbours said that this was even manifested in the local residence committee when he would bully the elderly and vulnerable, picking on them until he got just what he wanted. This controlling side to his nature became ever more noticeable to Lucy and she became increasingly lonely and disillusioned with her husband and married life. Lucy also drank heavily and neighbours reported hearing aggressive, alcohol fueled rows as their relationship descended into bitterness and recrimination. Lucy's dad, Roger, recalled how Harold's temper was evident to him. On one occasion, when Harold and Lucy visited him and his wife on holiday in France, the couple had a row, and Harold stormed out, almost running over his daughter, before disappearing for the night, ending up over 10 kilometres away in a nearby town, having walked there. Roger continued, Lucy wasn't a Stepford wife. She didn't like being told what to do and to run around after him. She was very forthright and would say what she thought and damn the consequences. What this meant it was a volatile mix and the couple had increasing numbers of arguments which were even more severe when the large quantities of alcohol had been consumed. Early in their relationship the couple had enjoyed caravan holidays in Wales and Scotland but after huge rows that could last for hours the pair sometimes wouldn't talk for days. Lucy's dad Roger added he had such a temper on him When anything happened he didn't like or couldn't control, he would just fly off the handle. But although this pattern of behaviour was only now becoming clear to Lucy and her friends and family, this temper was well known to his ex-wives and people he knew back in the US. They all knew about Harold's temper. And in 2009, while searching innocently on the internet, Lucy discovered something about her husband that would show the level of violence he was capable of and it would leave her sitting at the screen speechless, 
as her whole body froze. Lucy discovered that in the mid-90s, while Harold was married to his wife Melissa and living in Louisiana, Harold had embarked on an affair with a nanny to his children, a lady called Geraldine Price. In February 1994, Geraldine's husband, Chris Price, arrived home to see Harold dropping his wife off after a day out together in New Orleans. And fed up of seeing the affair flaunted in front of him, he chose this time to confront Harold. Harold was actually in the car with a 14-year-old babysitter when he became aware of a car behind him and he thought it might be following him. Looking in his mirrors, he saw it was Chris Price. Talking later to CBS TV about the incident, the babysitter in the car takes up the story. When we got to the traffic lights, Chris Price's car pulled up alongside of us. Chris got out of the car and he was screaming, and Mr Landry just grabbed the gun out and he held it out the window. And Mr Landry said, I'm going to shoot you. And he said, go ahead and shoot me. And then he did. Chris Price had fallen backwards onto his car and I saw his hands on his face and there was blood. And then I jumped out of the car and I said, I can't believe you shot him. But once he had carried out this act of violence, Harold was very calm and he waited for the police to arrive. Harold's shot had caused considerable damage to Chris Price, severing an artery and vocal cord, and it left him physically paralysed for months, along with the mental scars he still bears today. He was lucky to survive, and indeed he only did so as the shooting happened on a busy street, right next to a hospital. Landry was arrested and charged with second-degree attempted murder, but a jury downgraded the conviction to aggravated battery. He was given five years hard labour, suspended for five years, a $5,000 fine and 300 days community service. So he avoided any jail time for this crime, which on its own is pretty shocking. Chris Price's brother Don said that Harold was just a pathetic excuse for a human in my opinion. He added, it was lucky for him that my brother is a fighter and didn't die. My brother has relived that instance nearly every day in his mind since then. The lawyer who represented Chris Price in the legal action recalled Howard clearly many years later, saying, He was a boastful man who was used to getting what he wanted. When he didn't, that is when he turned violent. He was a very nasty man who was capable of violence when it suited him. He had a plane and would fly everywhere. Landry liked to be the big I am, but he had a really nasty temper. Incidentally, I wonder how Chris Price's wife felt about the events of that day and whether today she also thinks about what happened to her husband. Lucy had known nothing about this incident and she was both appalled and frightened when she found out. This was for her the end of the marriage. She started an affair with an old school friend, Gareth Jenkins, whom she'd reconnected with on Facebook. Married dad of two Gareth got in touch with Lucy in June 2009 and their messages quickly became flirty. Gareth said, There was so much to catch up on. Both of us had two children, and we soon realised that our marriages were struggling. All it took was a few double entendres for our messages to get really flirty. There was a connection there. We fell in love again before we even set eyes on each other. The pair first arranged to meet in August 2009 in a supermarket car park in Wales. 
After a nervous reunion, they drove to a beach where they admitted their love for each other. Harold almost immediately knew that something had changed. At first, Lucy denied the affair, but the controlling Harold quickly suspected there was more to the friendship with Gareth Jenkins. When Harold went to bed in the evening, Lucy would stay up talking to Jenkins online for hours on Facebook and she became much more distant from Harold. And although she wouldn't admit it, Harold knew that his wife was having an affair. To get away from the increasing tensions at home, Harold decided to leave England for a while and go to his holiday home in Mexico, hoping that everything would blow over. But while he was gone, it went the other way and Lucy actually moved Jenkins into their marital home. Harold was livid. When he came back at the end of 2009, he was in a really bad place. He'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer and he knew that his marriage was finally over. It was now just about sorting out the terms of the divorce. Helen confided in one of his close friends, Helen, who said, He was very, very upset about it. He felt he'd failed in many ways. He began to feel somewhat out of control. He said, We just won't ever be the same. She had someone else, and that's the way it's going to be. He'd have done anything and everything, including forgiving what's hard to forgive, to keep the marriage together, she explained. Although his friends say that Harold was devastated, it turned out that once he found out Lucy had a boyfriend, he also found a girlfriend. As we can imagine, this was a tough, stressful time for the couple. As we can imagine, this was a tough, stressful time for the couple, and their arguments now shifted to money. Lucy demanded that Harold pay for a new flat for her, Jenkins, and the two children, and Harold agreed. But even as he did so, he was tortured by the thought that Lucy would be living there with her new lover. It all came to a head on February the 1st, 2010. That's when Lucy posted on Facebook, I've never hated someone as much as I hate someone now. She was, of course, referring to her husband, Harold Landry. The last week in January, Lucy had spent with Gareth at his mum's house in Wales, but on February the 1st, she returned to Worcester. The two children, now aged 7 and 14, were in their bedrooms as a neighbour, Stephen Kennedy, arrived at the house early in the evening to collect a parcel that had been left there. Harold insisted on him coming in, but there was such an awful atmosphere that he left quickly. Whilst he was there, Stephen Kennedy could see that Lucy and Harold were drinking heavily. He noticed that Harold alone had consumed at least three bottles of wine. While Stephen was there, Lucy taunted her husband over naked photos he'd taken of himself for a fetish website he had joined three months previously that she'd found on his computer. She called him a pervert and taunted him that he should be on the sex offenders register. Lucy even threatened to post the pictures on the gates of the local school attended by their daughter. And after Stephen had left, the couple continued to argue furiously over money, possessions and her hate for him. The pressure was increasing. At 9.30pm, Lucy spoke to her new partner Gareth Jenkins on the phone. Gareth says, I heard Harold shouting. He was slagging off Lucy and yelling, you're not getting any money. After 10 minutes I texted, asking if everything was okay. She replied, not really. I asked what Harold was doing and she responded, he's starting again. As they moved to the kitchen and Lucy continued to taunt Harold over money, Suddenly he snapped. In his night clothes and dressing gown, he picked up a granite rolling pin 
and smashed Lucy over the head with it. He chased her upstairs, holding a large knife in his hand, as blood poured from the open wound on her head. He stabbed her through the cheek as she ran into the garden, desperately calling for her neighbour, Stephen Kennedy, but there was nowhere for her to run. In a ferocious attack, Landry stabbed his wife over 20 times. The neighbour, Stephen Kennedy, was woken by her horrible screams. He went outside and found Lucy's blood-drenched body in the hedge. He could feel the body was all wet, with very little pulse. He held her and looked up and saw Landry at the end of the drive. A knife had gone into Lucy's side several times. With such depth and ferocity, the handle was no longer visible. He called the police and one of the first on the scene was Officer Steve Elcox, who said, I'd certainly never been to anything like it before. The paramedics were working on Lucy. There was a great deal of blood. She had a very, very large gash to her left cheek. She also had a very large butcher's knife that was still in her. One of the first priorities was to find out if those children were safe, he said. Police found the children, aged 7 and 14, in the backyard. They did not know that their mother lay dying in the front of the house. After the attack, Landry drove straight to his new partner's cottage to tell her that something awful had happened. He gave her three banker's drafts for a total of £30,000, a bundle of cash, as well as the keys to his car and several signed blank cheques. He then told her he'd not be seeing her again before leaving and heading home via country lanes. The police were searching for him and it was Sergeant Ian Beeve who found him. He said, It was just before midnight. I slammed on the brakes and I knew it was him straight away. Landry was completely compliant, he said. There was nothing in his demeanour to suggest he'd just done something. Landry didn't try to deny it. He told the police just what he had done. He was arrested and he was charged. Meanwhile, back in Wales, frantic after his last text from Lucy, for the rest of the evening, Gareth Jenkins tried frantically to contact Lucy to no avail. The following morning, he got a coach to Worcester. Unnerved by the suspicious silence at the Landry's home, Gareth called the police. He says, When I mentioned Lucy's name, the woman asked where I was. A patrol car was sent to collect me and they broke the news. I was in total shock. I didn't know how to respond. I couldn't believe that Lucy was gone. Howard Landry's trial began at Wolverhampton Crown Court in 2011. Landry admitted manslaughter, but denied murder on the grounds that his 38-year-old wife had provoked him by threatening to post intimate pictures of him on the local school gates. But he was found guilty of murder and jailed for at least 16 years, meaning he won't be considered for parole until he's at least 79. Landry stood with his hands behind his back and he showed no signs of emotion as the judge told him he would only be given parole if the authorities ruled that he no longer posed a threat to the public. Passing sentence, Justice Foskett said that jurors had quite rightly rejected Landry's claim that he was guilty only of manslaughter because his wife had provoked him. The judge told him, The jury did not need to hear about your previous conviction in order to reject the case that you advanced. There is a trait within you that, if provoked and challenged, can lead to serious violence. The judge also criticised Landry for claiming during the trial that his wife had threatened him with a knife shortly before he chased her from her home. The judge added that this had all the hallmarks of a story dreamt up after the event to try to establish a defence case. 
describing the murder itself as brutal and vicious. Justice Foskett pointed out that most of the 23 stab wounds suffered by Lucy had been inflicted as she was lying on the ground, attempting to protect herself. I've no doubt that you intended to kill her, the judge told Landry. I've no doubt that you knew she was dead when you left her body. After the trial, in a statement issued by West Mercia Police, Lucy's family described her as a bright, beautiful, bubbly person who was much loved. The statement read, To have her taken away from us this way has caused devastation for us all. We are relieved with the verdict. It's been an extremely traumatic year for everyone, but finally, justice has been done for Lucy. We thank everyone who has helped to achieve this. Speaking later, her father Roger said, We didn't agree with it at the time and words were spoken, but in retrospect she was happy with Graham Jenkins and we are glad that what turned out to be the last six months of her life were happy ones. He added, My only hope is that Landry dies in prison, if not for retribution, then to protect the public. He's already shot a man, killed my daughter, so his violent nature is there to see. And we saw his temper and controlling nature plenty of times during their relationship. Speaking after the trial from his prison cell, Landry had a lot to say to CBS television. He blamed his guilty verdict on an ill-prepared defence and said that he fully intended to appeal, despite seemingly accepting that he'll end his days in jail. I'm expecting to die here. I'm resigned to it, he said. And it's not the end of my life. This is just a different life. I've done a lot of good things, beneficial things, donated my time to various causes unselfishly, and no one remembers that. All they remember is that I murdered my wife. Although he admits being sorry for what happened, he says he would not change what he did in the same circumstances. I think I'd have reacted the same way. Yes, I would. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's a pretty shocking case, I think, with no winners at all. Lucy's friends and family have lost someone special. Howard Landry is in a prison cell for the rest of his life, unrepentant. Graham Jenkins has lost the person he planned to spend the rest of his life with. And most importantly, Lucy's children have lost their mother. I think there was a very poignant comment posted on Lucy's Friends Reunited page, where she had written under the heading, Future Plans. Simply to see my two kids grow up healthy and happy. Job done. And tragically, that opportunity has now been taken away from her. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. Please join us at our Facebook group to discuss this case and all other aspects of UK True Crime. To support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime, where for under three quid a week, that's less than a dodgy pint of lager, you'll have access to eight bonus episodes with the ninth arriving this week, along with other exclusive content, of course. So until we speak next week, have a good one. Cheerio.